0: Welcome to SportsBeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports podcast presented by First Federal Bank. It's Monday, July 25th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. Buck O'Neill finally got his day in Cooperstown. On Sunday, the former Kansas City Monarchs player and manager, major league coach and scout, and baseball's greatest ambassador, not to mention Negro League's baseball museum founder, was enshrined with the class of 2022. This happened 16 years after Buck was not included in a special class of former Negro League figures, an omission that hurt those who knew Buck more than it did him. Still, Sunday's event was so satisfying on many levels, and on today's show, you're going to hear from folks who helped tell his story and have kept it alive over the years. We have a couple of segments today, courtesy of star columnist Vahe Gregorian. He was on hand to cover the weekend in Cooperstown, and his work is featured on KansasCity.com. Well, this weekend, Vahe also doubled as a sound technician. So you'll hear a conversation he recorded about Buck between Negro League's museum president Bob Kendrick and Joe Posnansky, the former star columnist who traveled the country with Buck O'Neill to write the book, The Soul of Baseball. After a break, you'll hear Vahe's conversation with filmmaker Ken Burns. It was O'Neal's appearances on the documentary miniseries Baseball that thrust Buck O'Neal into the national limelight. Burns explains how he met Buck and about his impact on the project. But we can't have a show about Buck O'Neal without hearing from the legend, so let's start by playing a clip from Baseball by Ken Burns. It's the famous story about the sound Buck heard just three times in his life. After the Black Sox scandal, here comes Ruth.
1: I heard Ruth hit the ball. I'd never heard that sound before. And I was outside the fence, but it was a sound of the bat that I had never heard before in my life. That was Ruth hitting the ball. And the next time I heard that sound, I'm in Washington, D.C. I rushed out, and there was Josh Gibson hitting the ball. And I heard this sound again. Now, I didn't hear it anymore. I'm in Kansas City, and I heard this sound one more time that I hadn't heard only twice in my life. Now, you know who this is? Bo Jackson swinging at that, and now I heard this sound. It was a thrill for me. I said, here it is again. I heard it again. I've only heard it three times in my life, but now I'm living because I'm gonna hear it again one day if I live long enough. 75. Shot 94, and age 94, and the day that he shoots 94, which was the last round of golf he and I ever played, before he passed away in 2006, we're sitting down at dinner, and he looks at, he looks up at us, and he says, "Well, fellas, I shoot my age, but that ain't a good score anymore." <laughs> uh, and I'm like, "Buck, if number one, if I make 94, I would love to tell somebody I shot 94. There are some days when I play now." that I'd take 94, <laughs> uh, and, and so, but the thing, I think the thing that I remember the most is that you always felt better leaving Buck than you did when you came to see him. Now, there was something very innate about this man, and, and honestly, I liken it to the same qualities of a Mother Teresa a Gandhi, a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. You don't really know what it is, but you feel it uh, when you're in their presence. And I I talk about this all the time, and and I'm sure (laughs) Dr. Reverend Hill can relate to this. I believe that we're all here for a purpose. I really do. I subscribe wholeheartedly to that belief that we're here. Each and every one of us are here for a purpose. Now, sometimes in this crazy life, we don't always readily identify with that purpose. <coughs> Other times, we run from that purpose. But Buck O'Neill embraced his purpose. And, and then he lived it to the very full so that we all could see that you could indeed get further in this life with love than you could with hate. And, and that is what drove him. It really did. The baseball thing, he uh, obviously, he, he loved what he uh, was able to accomplish as a player, as a manager, as a scout, as a groundbreaking coach in baseball. He loved and relished. He would tell you his greatest accomplishment was building the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But what drove him was using his life to help others, to inspire, to encourage, to instill hope and belief. You know, that is what drove him uh, and uh, he just identified with that purpose. Uh, and I asked him, I said, well but where did that come from? Y'all know what he told me. He said, my daddy told me when I was a little boy, Treat every man the way you want to be treated. The golden rule, yeah, (laughs) and we all know the golden rule. We just don't all live the golden rule. And he took something that his father said to him when he was just a boy,
2: and it governed him throughout the rest of his illustrious life. Incredible, incredible. All right, before we go, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go here. But before we go, there is one other thing I want to say. Uh, we're here in Cooperstown, which Buck loved, by the way. Buck, oh, yeah. Buck loved Cooperstown, loved the Hall of Fame. Such a joy for him to go into the Hall of Fame. And the day that we that Buck fell short in 2006, which we don't want to talk about, because it's, it, it, Buck wouldn't want us talking about that. He, that. That's not. But that day, people kept talking, because they all thought he was going to go into the Hall of Fame. And they kept saying to Buck, Buck... What a what a deserving honor! You've been such a great spokesman for the game. You've been an ambassador to baseball. And they kept saying that ambassador to baseball. You've been an ambassador to baseball. And buck finally just loses it. And buck goes, "Hey, I could play." And <laughs> Burke, <and> Burke, <laughs> I think Buck got taught all that He didn't want all that. He's like, "All right, are. ambassador, buck, but I could play. I could play. I can play. I can play. And so it could play. It could." Well, I think it's really important to say that. You know, Buck was a was was Buck a Hall of Fame player? He would tell you no. Was Buck a very good player? He would tell you yes. He was a great fielding first baseman, three hundred hitter, won a batting title in the Negro leagues, terrific hitter. He goes at the end. They called. They started calling him captain when he was twenty two years old. He was always at. He was always above. But he goes on to manage that Negro leagues team, and he manages the Monarchs to pennants. He's he's the he's the coach of. Of Ernie Banks, the manager of Ernie Banks, so on, comes a scout. Time where there were very few black scouts, and he scouts Ernie Banks. He, he sent Ernie Banks to you know as manager to the Cubs. But he signs Lou Brock <laughs> for the Cubs, he signs Lee Smith for the Cubs, he signs Joe Carter for the Cubs. Um, Oscar Oscar Gamble. Gamble. I mean, he's he's one of the most successful scouts in baseball history, and and a legend among scouts. You. you you want to hear people talk about treasuring Buck O'Neill, talk to scouts because scouts just love fucking and you'll see pictures. There's a great great video um, like a new news report from the seventies of a very, very young J.R. Richard growing up in in, in uh, Louisiana and he was he was a he was a phenom was both a hitter and a pitcher. And they had like forty scouts around him. There was one black scout in that group and that was Buck O'Neal. Yeah, and and so so you go on there. He becomes the first African American coach in Major League Baseball history for the Chicago Cubs, and they they never let him coach on the field, uh, never let him be a third base coach or even a first base coach. Even when people got thrown out of games, they never let him coach. And he found out later that, that people had told, you ever let that guy on the field, you don't get him off. You won't get him off field. Yeah. Get him off. he'll be the manager of this team. And, and then, of course, becomes this incredible ambassador to the game. To <laughs> but it's, an un, it's just an incredible baseball life. And so when you walk into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and you see Babe Ruth, and you see Willie Mays, and you see Henry Aaron, and you see, you know, on and on and on, commissioners and, and umpires, and, and nobody lived the life of Buck O'Neill. I mean, you look at the life of Buck O'Neill as baseball. You know, he always told the story We we, we love. You've, you've probably heard it. But, you know, he heard that sound three times in his life. Three times he heard a special sound of the ball coming off the bat. He would tell the story all the time. But I, I think of that story differently now. Because he heard that sound three times. The ball coming off the bat sounding like, like a thunder crack. The first time he heard it, he's a little kid in Sarasota. There's, there's spring training baseball going on. He's on the other side of the fence. He's not watching. He hears the sound. He gets on the ladder, climbs up, sees who it is. And it's Babe Ruth hitting the ball. Years later, he's playing for the Kansas City Monarchs. He's in the clubhouse getting ready. He's not even dressed. He hears the sound again. He always said, I ran on the field. I didn't have anything on but my, my jock strap.
3: <laughs>
2: and he looks and sees who created that sound. And it's Josh Gibson. And then many years later, he's a scout for the Kansas City Royals, and he's at the stadium, and he's watching a a young kid hit the ball, and he hears that sound for the third time, and it's Bo Jackson. And I think about that story. I always loved that story. But I think about that story now. He's here at Cooperstown. Mm -hmm. Who else lived that life? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's
1: why he said, don't feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. People will always come up to him. Mr. O'Deal, so sorry that you didn't get a chance to play <clears throat> in the Major League. And he would always tell them, and he was sincere about this. Oh, no, don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for the people who didn't see me play. <laughs> They're the ones who missed out. And he felt that sincerely. And, and that's why he spoke about being right on time. Because he said had he been born later, he doesn't get that experience of seeing that skinny leg guy with the barrel <laughs> chest and the sweetest wing he ever seen, babe Ruth hitting the ball. Or he doesn't get the <coughs> compete against Josh Gibson. Uh-huh. He wouldn't have had that opportunity to rub shoulders with Bo Jackson, who he absolutely adored. Uh-huh. And so he saw life a little bit differently than most people did, and that's the perspective that he wanted people to take. So when he stood there on the platform last, that Sunday in 2006, and we heard him say this on many occasions, "I've done a lot of things I like doing. I hit the home run. I hit the grand slam home run. I've had a hole in one in golf. I shook hands with President Truman." I shook hands with President Clinton, and I hugged Hillary. But I'd rather be right here, right now, than any place I've ever been in my life. We heard him say that on countless occasions. And y'all, every time he said that, he meant it. Wherever he was in that moment was where he wanted to be because it was the the most important place because he was there in that moment. And that's what he wanted people to carry with them. Yeah, and so come Sunday, when he is finally taking his place amongst the immortals of this game, I'm sure I'll go back and reflect on that speech, you know, and I was telling Joe, and we've heard him, he was sick at that time. And we didn't know how sick it was because he really never let on that he was sick. And y'all, he willed himself to be here that day. He was not going to miss that moment to be there to represent those, as Joe mentioned earlier, who built the bridge. And I go back, and after watching the speech again, I go back to one thing that he said, and it wasn't what he said, but the emphatic way in which he said it. And maybe it was because Perhaps he knew his fate, and he, and he said, I'm proud to be a Negro leader. I never heard him include that in that speech, ever. Uh-huh. And he wanted people to know just what it meant to play the Negro, Negro and he was indeed proud. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
0: Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars' award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site We've heard from Buck O'Neill, Bob Kendrick, and Joe Posnanski. Here's a conversation between filmmaker Ken Burns and Vahe Gregorian in advance of the Hall of Fame ceremony.
3: But maybe the place to start is just, what, what does this mean to, to you for, for him to be in there? And, and I wonder if we could go back a little bit to just uh, the place he came to hold in your heart, or still holds in your heart, obviously.
4: I, I kind of have to turn it upside down and, and, and just start with that. I mean... Uh, I I don't know anyone who's had a more profound effect on my life in terms of reminding us of our possibilities as human beings. Buck was a mentor. Buck was a father figure. Buck was a dear friend. He considered my children, his grandchildren. My daughter, Sarah, with an H on her honeymoon, detoured hundreds of miles out of the way to go to the hospital room. (laughs) <laughs> in Kansas City that would be his final uh, stay and uh, he admonished my son-in-law uh, to take good care of my granddaughter. I mean, he was everything to us, but a member of the family. I don't, I can't put it any better at his memorial service in Kansas City. Um, uh after his funeral and 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 being laid to rest in the cemetery uh at memorial hall i gave a, uh, uh, a, a kind of a, i don't know if we call it a eulogy or just a remembrance or whatever but i i said that you know our religious traditions suggest that man is made in god's image And there is almost nothing in our behavior that suggests that could be even remotely true until you you meet somebody like Buck. And you begin to see what a higher form of of, um, being could be. That is to say, in a world that worships and tends towards violence and confrontation, he was about love and peace was of joyfulness, you know, he made you feel as you met him, like you were the person that he had woken up to meet that day. And in that early in the morning, we had these arduous, arduous, you know, multi-city promotional tour stuff. We'd be in Atlanta and we'd get up before six and we'd be coming down the elevator and he'd meet somebody as if... The whole purpose of his day was to sail out of this person and then after 18 hours of work we would be stumbling back at midnight and he'd meet somebody in the elevator going back up at day he would just turn the light on and you would just watch them be transformed he was just a gift to some you know angel that you know for all his 95 years it still wasn't enough. And so, to answer your first question, him going into the Hall of Fame elevates the Hall of Fame.
3: That's right. That's exactly right. I mean,
4: it's it's, uh, Buck had deserved this honor in his lifetime and didn't get it. But we're all tested in different ways, and Buck passed that test magnificently without a a murmur of complaint. Um, And he bore it like the extraordinary sort of baseball god that he was and is and and gave us all a lesson in humility and avarice and you know you know uh ambition and and then now he's in and he's just by the very virtue that he's there the place suddenly got a little
3: bit more distinguished you know, Bob and I have talked about this a lot, and, and you've obviously given it a lot of thought. And we're struck by it in the moment. The, in hindsight, Bob Bob has learned to tell himself that that one of one of his favorite baseball moments was what Buck demonstrated after not getting in the Hall of Fame. And obviously, we'd all like to have seen it go differently, but. It, it, do you? It seems like you might see it a little through that lens that what what he was able I, to what give. I, what I hope I just
4: said that's exactly it. This was he showed us a humility and absence of ambition that would, of course, expose our own if we're honest. Uh, our avarice, our greed. You know, it's, it 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 was exposed by that. And and yeah. Those of us who reacted, reacted. He did not. He he maintained something. He knew there was something bigger than all of this, and that then makes him bigger than all of this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. All of our all of our disappointment, all of our sadness, all of the petty whatever political stuff that uh, delivered that particular verdict at that time. Um, he transcended it, and now he's transcended it again. So he goes into the, you know, the, whatever the elevation is at Cooperstown is now a few feet higher. <laughs> yeah. a there.
3: That's, that's right. You know, I should know this, Ken, but I, I guess I don't. I don't really know what it was like for you just to start to get to know him and how, how that dynamic uh, unfolded.
4: It begins with my colleague Lynn Novick, who is a co producer of the baseball series, and she had gone to uh, Cooperstown uh, to uh, uh, film some of the attendees at a Negro League re- uh, reunion at the Otisaga. and she. She did a couple of interviews and met some people to interview later. And she said, but this one guy, he's really, really great. And the footage came back and he was really, really great. And she went back and did another interview. And then I did the third interview. And it was, you know, by that time we were really close because he, as he's told me very late in his life, he said, you know, I've been talking about this all of my life and nobody listened until you came along." Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and I said other way around, Buck. You 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 gave us access to be able to tell a story that was much more complete about the history of the major, this separate but athletically equal league that um, you know more often than not at barnstorming games beat the white major leaguers who were not uh, allowed to play with them professionally on a on a day job, and uh, and when they finally came. Uh, Buck was a little bit ahead of it. I mean, a little bit behind, you know, ahead of time, and and didn't get in except as as, yes. as a coach and a scout, which he did magnificently, you know, thinking identifying somebody like an Ernie Banks, just a pretty big deal. Yeah. But um, you know, he he understood that. He watched Jackie and his meteor go streaming by in that one year. Uh, in 45 that that Jackie played with the the Monarchs and understood the trajectory of of Jackie and that he would pull them all. And um, he was uh, just magnificent in that and and helped us understand and elevate the story of baseball. I I, I don't know any other way. We just became fast friends. and My daughters loved him. I mean, they just blew into his arms when they were... Uh, gals and uh, just, you know, sat in his lap, But we once went, we were leaving at FanFest uh, where we'd been promoting the film in Boston and we're flying to New York on the shuttle. And Bud looked up to the Delta, I think it was Delta counter, and there was, here is this tall, imposing, handsome black man, me with my long hair and beard, and my two then young daughters who were uh, almost twelve and, and
3: almost eight, and uh, he said uh, we'd like
4: to go to New York. Uh, do you have a family plan? She goes, well, yes, sir, we do. And uh, he said, well, we'd like it. <laughs> he looked at him and then looked at us. Are there a problem? And and he and she said, no, sir. <laughs> so. so Sarah with an H, and Lily with three Ls, L-A-L-L-Y, and Ken flew with Buck to New York as a family. (laughs) That is great. And uh, uh, whatever money we saved was immaterial in every sense of the word um, to just the fact that Buck understood a much larger kinship, between human beings that transcended race, that transcended sex, that transcended nationality, that transcended even talent, of which he had an abundance of. Um, He's just great. I mean, I remember we were in Austin, and, and the guy who ran the Austin PBS station said, you like barbecue? And I said, yeah. Buck says, I'm from Kansas City. And so he took us down to Lockhart, like 70 miles below Austin and the a famed the texas barbecue center and uh and on the way back, as we were watching these gigantic late afternoon storms, maybe a tornado forming in the west, as we were heading north, Buck would tell story after story about hitting for the cycle. And he really had a second inside the park home run, but he kind of feigned a little hitch between shortstop and third and kind of pulled up lame to get his triple. And, uh, you know, we're watching, telling stories about Satchel Paige that we didn't, you know, I, I you know, we had already heard a lot of them, and you never and, and had a lot of them on film. And, and uh, you know, their body and their funny and their revealing and confrontations between Satchel and Josh Gibson. And just, you know, it's just legendary stuff, and you feel like you're sitting at the seat of some of Zeus, you know? That's, that's Buck.
3: <laughs> you know, it, there's probably no way to quantify this, but... I. I, I, but I wonder if you can. I, to what degree you feel like Buck was just really entwined with the whole, the whole documentary. He was its heart and soul. Yeah. Were people who appear
4: more often and, and advance the narrative in certain ways, but there are those are kind of intellectual things, uh, structural things. But when somebody becomes the heart of your film, by virtue not of any pre-planning on our part but by virtue of your own virtues that's a pretty remarkable thing we consider the gift of buck to that film why the film is still so hugely popular there are fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons and fathers and daughters Ooh. that watch every january you know yeah. uh, there's no baseball and that's no, I think a lot of it has to do that that there is an emotional underpinning to this greatest of all sport. There's nothing compares to it, nothing compares to it. The only sport in which the defense holds the ball, right? right in which the defense holds the ball, right? The only sport in which the person scores, not the, not the thing, not the puck, not the pigskin, not the, not, not the, you know, the, the basketball, um, there's no time. Every park is different. How is that possible? In every other sport, everything is exactly the same. The hockey rink it has to be certain. The, the basketball court, the football gridiron, you know. And it's just such an, an amazing, amazing sport with so many interesting facets to it. And that he, you know, he epitomizes what's so great about it, it seems to me. And made it, you know, an emotional attachment. I mean, when you say, you know, you talk about, uh, no, I love the other sports. I mean, you say, oh, you know, I remember when uh, Michael Jordan hit that three-pointer at the buzzer and we won, right? Or I remember when Joe Montana hit Jerry, you know, they were down and, and, and with just a few seconds left and we won. But a baseball story always begins. And you can ask Bob Costas this. You can ask Bob Kendrick's this. You can ask uh Billy Crystal this, you can ask anybody who loves the game, Doris Kearns Goodwin, the late Stephen Jay Gould, all these people, Roger Angel, who just passed away, they say, well, my mom took me to this game, and I remember the way the clouds were, or the green of the thing, and, you know, it's like being on the rim of the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon is the grandest canyon on earth, but it's also who you see it with, whose hand you're holding, whose eye you Catch after you look down into this magnificent chasm, and that's that's a baseball story, you know. And then you go on to say, Mickey Mantle did this, or David Ortiz did that, or you know, uh, Walter Johnson did this, but you know, whatever it was that you saw, um, Seth talked about it in the film a lot, too. <laughs> he said, There must have been. 500,000 people who were in the Cup c- Park from the number of people who told me they
3: saw Babe Ruth's cold shot. Right. <laughs> right. You know? That's that's right. Well, it's funny you, you hit on this in in other ways too, Ken. But I, I you got me thinking about this when 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 people ask why well why is Buck O'Neill going in the Hall of Fame? What what would you what would you tell them? What what is what is that? There's there's so many things in the spectrum of it, of course. But what what what's the, what do you what do you think of when you think of that?
4: Well, it's a, it's an interesting thing because the, the the Hall of Fame is supposed to be just about stats, right? We're not measuring the goodness of somebody. The baseball might withhold that and torture the Pete Roses and uh, Roger Clemens and the, and the Barry Bonds, um, you know, who should be in, uh, but. Well, should also shouldn't be in. And, and, and that's another thing. But Buck doesn't get in on, on, on
3: um, statistics, right? He's just, he falls a little short and plays
4: long, that, and the Negro Leagues didn't have as. as. But what he has done in the totality of his life is almost beyond measure. I mean, he, he helped connect an entire dominant white society. To the glories and the thrills of the Negro League baseball, just by speaking in our film and and speaking all his life about it to audiences big and small, um, he had that incredible that sense of a virtue of having lived a virtuous life and and being an example of, of a higher form of human being. You know, it's it's it literally there's no greater compliment, and so I think that. Um, we celebrate the fact that here is an exceptional person, right? An exceptional person for whom we've made at least statistically a kind of exception, because he is, in his totality, the best ambassador that baseball had in a way that Babe Ruth was. You know, he was different than Babe Ruth, but, but still this very alive thing in which you, when you met Buck, you never forgot that you met him.
3: Is there anything that you wanted to make sure to express that I didn't didn't properly ask no, you? Or, 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 uh,
4: there was a, there was an interesting thing. My daughter Sarah and I and um, and Lynn Novick and her young son James, whose um, middle name is Jordan, named after Buck's middle name, yeah. um, just um, after the memorial service, we all retired to the plaza. I don't need to explain to her that. sure off then uh an executive with the brain and um uh brett was there george brett and joe and there may have been one other person and they just told buck stories and then they became baseball stories and we laughed and laughed and laughed all of us deeply touched and influenced by this man and to watch Sarah was by then, you know, uh, an adult. But to watch James and um, and to watch his eyes in the face of people that he'd heard about, like George Brett and Joe Morgan, you know, Hall Famers and John Schuhoff. Mm-hmm. At it, there's Bob Costas, you know, the greatest, arguably one of the greatest uh, baseball announcers. In- of all time, um, certainly one of the great broadcasters. Period of all times, a dear friend of mine, and just shooting the sh** and telling stories. And, it just felt like what a, It was a long day. It was a sad day from the funeral at the AME church and the procession and the closing down of the highway and the burial and, and then you know the memorial stuff and we're lost in our thoughts and our own individual stuff and then this evening had a kind of just. Just a permanence that I'll never forget. It was the crossing of the barriers of all these people who had different lives, different interests, and different things, but had all come together uh, for Buck. And that's the way Buck was his whole life for us. Crossing, you know, racial lives, you know, rich, poor, any section of the country, any country in the world, he just reminded us of a human, there was something timeless and unforgettable about that, you know, I'm usually, I'm a busy person and I got, I got the next thing that's coming and um, I'll never forget, there was a kind of ineffable happiness and peace there the day that we had said goodbye to Buck because we knew that he's got a kind of immortality um, from the way he touched our lives. And he now has an immortality, the bigger game of baseball, which he deserves richly.
0: That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC staff of Randy Mason, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Pickett, and a salute to our sponsor, First Federal Bank. Their website is ffbkc.com. I can't thank Vaja Gregorian enough for his coverage of the Buck O'Neill Hall of Fame induction and his interviews that created today's show. The Hall of Fame ceremony, plus the day in baseball, auto racing, golf, and much more was covered in today's Morning Sports Edition. Go to liveedition.kansascity.com for more information. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC.